seated and take out your Bibles and meet me in Psalm 46. Psalm 46. And as you travel there, uh, the verses will not be on the screen. Um, so you'll want to find either in your Bible or get your device out. Or maybe look on with somebody beside you if you don't have either one. Or just listen. I want to remind you too as you make your way to Psalm 46 that this afternoon from 3 to 6... Uh, We have our next uh, Sunday night encounter. That's where we gather together as a church for a time of food and fellowship. And so um, we're doing that just across the street. So if you just went directly across the gray house with the red roof, uh, that's Chuck and Annette Hurst home. And so they're going to be supplying hamburgers and hot dogs and all the condiments to go with it. And and, uh, Yoo-Hoo ice cream on top of it. And so they just ask if you can... Uh, to bring a side dish and or dessert, or you don't have to bring anything at all. Uh, We just want you to come and be a part of it, but if you can help out in that, we'd greatly appreciate it. And uh, Chuck and Annette are back in the nursery at this moment, and so if you plan to come and bring something, uh, just head to the gym real quickly and you'll find them. If you don't know who Chuck or Annette is, just find Santa Claus, and you found Chuck, and you can let them know what you plan on bringing this evening so that um, uh, we'll know how to best prepare. Psalm 46, let's read this this morning. To the choir master of the sons of Korah, Um, they were tasked, the sons of Korah, the Korahites, they were tasked with leading the worship in the Old Testament. According to the Alamoth, a song, Alamoth is simply, uh, this is a woman's song meaning that it was probably sung either as an alto or a soprano. So it's a, you know, kind of a high-pitch song, I guess you would say. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in time of trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the sea, Though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar with foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, Selah. Selah means stop. Take in what you just read. Consider what you just sung. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, a holy habitation of the Most High. God is in her midst. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage and the kingdoms totter. He utters His voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Come. Come, come, behold the works of the Lord, how He has brought desolation on earth. He makes wars to cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Do you know this verse? Be still and know that I am God. 
I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Psalm 46 can be called the Keep Calm Psalm. That's kind of what I've entitled the message this morning. Keep Calm. It's a very popular shirt that you see people wearing around. Keep calm and then do something. And this psalm just tells us to keep calm. It's a song of confident trust. It, it is what some people call the psalm or the song of the Reformation. Martin Luther, the great reformer, wrote his most beloved hymn and probably one of my, it's probably number three on my favorite hymn list, Behind Amazing Grace, number one, and I asked the Lord how I might grow, song number two. Song number three would definitely be, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. But what's interesting is this song, this hymn of Luther's was written out of Psalm 46. He wrote this great hymn during a debilitating time of extreme crisis. It was the summer of 1527 and the bubonic plague was sweeping through Europe. This vicious pandemic struck the country of Germany where Luther ministered. A large number of deaths occurred because of the plague. People were living in fear. Do we know something about that? Huh? Not much has changed, right? Many were escaping town in search of safety. The issue for Luther was this. Should he flee for help of his family and his own preservation, or should he stay and minister to those who remain and expose himself to the deadly disease? Luther made the difficult decision to stay in order to shepherd the German people. With his wife, Katie, Luther turned their house into a hospital for the dying. Tragically, their young three-year-old son, Hans, contracted the disease and nearly died. During this season, Luther became so overwhelmed mentally and emotionally that he fainted at the dinner table more than once and had to be carried to his bed. It was during the middle of this summer of 1527 that Martin Luther, out of this deep experience of trouble, pins this great hymn. In a time of weakness and pestilence, Luther wrote, A mighty fortress is our God, as a testimony to the strength that he found in the Lord himself. Listen to how the first verse of this great hymn opens up. A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. He amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. You hear what he was saying? Amidst death and destruction, against mortality staring him in the face, Luther found in God a mighty fortress, a place of safety, a place of refuge, a place of security, a place of strength. Many before Luther and many since have found the teaching of Psalm 46 to be true. And so this morning... The big idea, the one-sentence statement that can sum up all of Psalm 
46 is already on the screen. God will not fail when everything is falling down around us. Uh, nobody knows anything about that? One person? One person knows that when everything is falling down around you, God will not fail? You know something about our God? Is that He has not ever known one defeat. He has an undefeated record. He's never lost. And guess what? His people have never lost. Really, when God is on your side, it's an unfair fight. It is. When God is on your side, it's an unfair fight. Why? Because God controls everything in this universe. And God is going to make everything in this universe serve His glory and to serve His people's good. Even pandemics. Even pandemics. The psalm has three stanzas with a refrain, or a refrain is the chorus that repeats twice. The first two stanzas teach us about who God is. And the third stanzas teach us what God does and what we should do. So what do we learn about God in stanza one? We can be assured that God will not fail because of His personhood, because of who He is. Notice again that the psalmist begins his song like last week. You remember how I told you last week, Psalm 27, began, that psalm began with what? The Lord. This week it begins with what? God is. So all great worship songs begin with great theology. And there's not a worship song on the planet worth singing if it's not rooted in great theology. Why? Because the only thing that can bring comfort to your soul in troubled time is good theology. And theology is nothing more than what? Theo, God, ology, study of. It's the study of God. And isn't it interesting that the people who say they follow God are often people who don't understand God at all? Or who often misunderstand Him? What I love about the Psalms is they always put theology before trouble. See, now that's that I, I just kind of gave you a, a moment there that you could you could jump in and say, that's right. Theology before trouble. That's what I need. But see, that's not what we really have bought into. We have yet to fully drink the Kool-Aid of theology. Theology before trouble. Why? Because the only way you're going to handle trouble is with your theology. And some of us are not handling our trouble well because we don't have good theology. Or we have no theology at all. Or we have somebody else's theology. Not that it's not good to study others, but what I'm saying is, is that though you study someone else and, and, and what they say the Bible teaches, the only way that becomes effective for you is that it becomes your own. It must become practical, not theoretical. Listen, your theology will determine your therefore. Are you tracking with me on that? What, what does it say? God is our refuge and strength, a very, help, a very present help in time of trouble. 
Next word. Do, do, we, do we need to pass out oxygen this morning? Are y'all a little low on, on oxygen level? Therefore. That's about as good as we can do. Therefore. That's, that's, listen, that's how you read therefores. You don't read therefores. Therefore. Or therefore. It's, it, I mean, listen, the, the writer is screaming out at you when the Bible says, shout with songs of praise. Listen, they're not say, they don't sing... Um, uh, our God is a re- um, our God is our refuge and safety, our very present help in in time of need. And then they sing, therefore, real softly. No, it's a shout. Therefore, you see, your theology determines your therefore. Because if God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in time of trouble, therefore we will not fear. But if he's not there, you're going to be scared to death. If he's not your refuge, if he's not your strength, if you don't believe he's a very present help in time of trouble, guess what? Your therefore will be followed by, I will be fearful. I will be scared. But if you've got good theology, you're going to have a good therefore. Theology empowers me to live an even-though life. You say, well, where do you, where do you, where do you kind of get that from? Because he says, therefore, even though. Even though what? Even though all of this stuff is happening. I mean, did you, did you read the, the, what, what's going on around him? I mean, mountains are falling into the oceans. The earth is quaking. The, the, the seas are roaring. I mean, it is all the stuff that scares the bejesus out of anybody who even is confident. Because there's nothing that will make somebody cower like an earthquake. There's nothing that will make somebody cower more than an intense storm. There's nothing that will make someone cower and go into fear than to see everything around them completely disintegrating. But he says, if God is my refuge and strength, a very present help in time of need, therefore, even though all this is happening, what does he say I'm not going to do? Now, I'm not going to fear. I'm not going to fear. It's an easy matter to manifest the appearance of great confidence so long as we're not placed in imminent danger. But if in the midst of our general But in the midst of a general crash of the world, our minds continue undisturbed and free from trouble. This is evident proof that we attribute to the power of God the honor which belongs to Him. See, you can't really really know this verse without everything falling down around you. You can't know this is true about God if everything around you is not crumbling because anybody can say God is my refuge and strength, a very present help in a time of trouble if you don't have any trouble. Amen? Does that take any effort? Does does that take any faith or belief at all to say that when, when there is no trouble? Absolutely not. You only know this to be true when everything is falling down around you 
and you remain undisturbed. So what do we learn about God in this passage? Real quick, God is, pow- God is for us powerfully. God is for us powerfully. Notice the first word of the text. God. Last week it started out with the Lord. This week it says our God. Now, the Lord, it was the covenant name of God, Yahweh, but this week the writer, the Korahites, use a totally different word for God, and they express the personhood of God with the word Elohim. Elohim simply means He is extraordinarily almighty, declaring omnipotence upon omnipotence. This Hebrew word Elohim is used in the first verse of the Bible. Do you know how God introduced Himself to the world? Introduce Himself to the world. He says, "In the beginning, God. In the beginning, Elohim. In the beginning, the extraordinarily Almighty, Omnipotent God." And because He is that, God is a dependable refuge for His people when everything around them seems to be falling apart. Psalm 61, 3 says, For you have been my refuge, a strong tower against my enemy. Psalm 62, 7 and 8 says, uh, On God rest my salvation and my glory. My mighty rock, my refuge is God. Trust in Him at all times. O people, pour out your hearts before Him. God is a refuge for us. I love that verb, is. Do you like the verb, is? I love the verb, is. Because you know what it is? It is, the, it is definitive. It's not saying God might be God. Uh, sometimes, uh, uh, I mean, it, it, it takes out any kind of doubt about who God is. When, when, the, when the verb is is employed, it is reminding us and telling us this is exactly who God is all the time and who God is for us all the time. Psalm 142.5 says this, I cry out to you, O Lord, I say, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of living. You see, His safety and strength give us a foundation that when everything is falling down around us, God will not fail. I'm going to say that to you a hundred thousand times this morning if I can. Because you know what? You may, you know, sometimes I think you don't need to hear something and then it just dawns on me that I need to hear it and you need to hear it and we need to hear it a hundred thousand times. Why? Because give us one little millisecond of trouble and we can fall apart in a heartbeat. Not a second. A millisecond. Not even real trouble, maybe just perceived trouble. And we can fall apart. And what do we need to hear constantly in our hearts and in our ears? We need to remember that when everything is falling down around us, that God will not fail because He is our safety and He is our strength. Listen, He doesn't protect us in order to pamper us. Hmm? Some of y'all think God, His whole job is to coddle you. God's not a coddler. 
He doesn't pamper us. He shelters us. Why? So that He can strengthen us to go back to life with its duties and its dangers. He shelters us and strengthens us so that we can go back to life with its duty and its dangers. You don't believe me? How about this favorite verse that many of you have on your coffee cups and wear on your t-shirts and have hanging on, your, on the walls in your house? But they who wait for the Lord shall what? Renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. You see, the place of safety is the place where we renew our strength so we can get back into the everyday events of life. Not only is God powerful for us, He is powerfully for us, but God is for us perpetually. He's for us perpetually. Some of y'all think that God is for you sometimes and against you at others. Huh? Right? How many of you, when trouble hits, you wonder why God's mad at you? Hmm? Well, if the Lord really loved me, He wouldn't let all this happen to me. If the Lord really loved me, if He was really uh, happy with me, then none of this would, would be happening to me. He would just keep me from all of this. But God is for us perpetually. You see, His perpetuity gives us faith. Perpetuity is just a big fancy word for it never ends. It never quits. It keeps on going. His perpetuity gives us faith that when everything is falling down around us, He will not fail. He will not fail. Listen, we will not, fail, we will not fall apart because He fortifies us with His presence. How do I know you're not going to fall apart? Well, the text tells me. How do I know I'm not going to fall apart? The text tells me. It tells me that He fortifies me with what? His presence. Notice, um, notice the, uh, uh, again, the verb is. It's a constant, never-ending flow. Do you see that in verse 4? There is a river. The word river is simply a metaphor. It's a, it's a metaphor for God. God is a never-ending supply. But notice also the word streams. It's plural. What, what are the core heights trying to tell us in this song? That God is a never-ending, abundant source. Listen, when God is with us, we are satisfied. When God is with us, we are satisfied. What does it say? The rivers of God, the, the, the streams of God do what? Make what? Make what? Glad. They satisfy. That's what God's presence does. 
God's presence satisfies us. You see, when, when trouble comes, and what you, what you need to remember, and, and I hope what you see already about this text, it says that God is all of, all of this to us in times of trouble. You see, many of us want God to extract us from the trouble, and what, what God wants to do is He wants to ex- extract some stuff out of us in trouble. What, what does he want to get out? What does he want to extract out of us? What does he want to get out of us? Well, he wants to get our self-sufficiency out of us. You see, some of us don't know that God satisfies because we're too busy, we're too busy try to, trying to satisfy ourselves. And so trouble comes to do what? To show us that I got too many props of the world that I'm leaning on, and God's kicking the props out from underneath me, saying, listen, here's what's best for you. Learn that I am the one that satisfies. Know that these wells that you are drinking from will never satisfy. Well, when God is with us, we are with us, we are sustained. We are sustained. Look at verse 5. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. Psalm 46, 5 says, God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when the morning dawns. The mighty God is in the midst, is in the innermost part. She will not be overthrown or collapse. So, again... Look at verse 5. God, that is Elohim, the Mighty One, is in the midst. That midst means the innermost being. And she will not, what? Be moved. That word for moved could also be translated collapsed, overthrown. And so the Mighty God is in the innermost part, so she will not be overthrown. Hey, listen. You know how I can tell you, if you're a Christian, that the Lord is ever with you? Because the Bible says He dwells in His people. He dwells in us. That river that will make us satisfied, that's perpetual, that never ends, that is this source that satisfies us and sustains us, is in us. It's in us. Isn't that crazy that we're out looking for those things that will satisfy us and sustain us and we're looking on the outside trying to find that and the whole time it's right here inside of us. But I'm going to tell you what else. When, When God is with us and when you know that the Lord is with us, with you, you will not only be satisfied and sustained, but listen, you'll be solidified. Look at the verse. It says, the end of verse 5, the B part. God will help her when the morning dawns. God will. That's, that's a resolute. That's like is. It's a definitive. God will. He knows nothing else to do other than to help His people. It's resolute. It's firm. It's strong. It's like Isaiah forty-one thirteen. For I, the Lord your God, hold your right hand. It is I who say to you, 
Fear not, for I am the one who helps you. Did you hear that? It is God. Listen, listen again, listen. It says, for I, the Lord your God, hold your right hand. The hand of strength. I hold your right hand. Why? Because your right hand is not strong enough. It is I who say to you, fear not, for I am the one who helps you. How about Psalm 54, 4? Behold, God is my helper. The Lord is the upholder of my life. Verse 5 said, God will help her in the morning. That word help means to support, to sustain, to uphold. When morning dawns was the time that if you were going to attack another city, if you were going to attack another army, they were at their most vulnerable during the morning time, at the dawn. So this is what he concludes. His, he concludes the first two stanza of this hymn with these words of resolute confidence. Psalm 46, 7. Listen to how he concludes it. The Lord of hosts is with me. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Do you know that the Lord is with you? Do you know that? Can you say with a definitive, resolute, Mind, heart, and spirit, the Lord is with me. The Lord is for me. The Lord is in me. And if you can't, then there's your explanation. What do you mean there's your explanation? That's why your faith is what it is. That's why you can't move on and progress spiritually. That's why you're always a step forward and five steps backwards. Because you do not yet know who God is for you and who God is in you. Because if you did... You would say, therefore, I will not fear. I will not fear. You'd be like the writer of Hebrews says, what should I fear that man can do to me? Huh? What should I fear that man can do to me? You say, well, man could take my life. Not unless the Lord allows it. And if, and if they take your life, what have you lost? We've got to get back to remembering that to die is to gain. And not to die is to lose. And you say, well, it's my kids and it's my spouse and it's all this. And it's like, hey, they got the Lord. They don't need you. See, that's part of, that's part of our problem. We don't think we can go on to heaven. Why? Because all the people we're going to leave behind ain't going to be able to make it because we, their Savior, have gone on to glory. That's just the truth. 
And I'm going to go ahead and remind all of us once again, y'all all, and me included, make terrible saviors. So quit playing God and, and get your resume out. I mean, get your job description out and start living it and leave God's description, job description alone and quit trying to live it. And life will turn out a whole lot better for you. See, I didn't think that would get an amen anywhere. You know why? Because I'm, I'm looking at guilty, 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 guilty. And there again explains part of our problem. Well, how does this song end? All right, let's, let's wind it up here. First two stanzas, this is who God is. Last stanza, this is what God does, and this is what we are to do. So here it is. Th this is key. You've got, you got to get this here. We prevail as we behold His works. We prevail as we behold His works. Look what verse 8 says. Verse 8 says what? Come. You know what that word come can, can also be translated? Walk over here and investigate. Come, behold. Fix your gaze on something important. Don't become so preoccupied with what's in front of you that you fail to remember what's behind you. What does He want us to behold? The works. The not, not work of God, but the works of God. Psalm 66.5 says, Come and see what God has done. His awesome deed. He is awesome in His deeds towards the children of man. Sometimes we forget. All we can remember is what, all we know is what's right in front of us. Right? Isn't that how trouble gets us? Trouble will make us believe that all that's in front of us is all that's there. And the Bible says when trouble comes, don't spend your time gazing at trouble. Come and behold. Hey, look, look, here. this is the way I interpret it in my mind. You're looking at trouble. God's over here, and He's saying, Hey, come over here. Walk over here for a second. Come over here. I want, you, you need to look at something different. You, you, you're looking at present trouble, but... Come over here, because here's what I need you to see. And, and what he does, he kind of takes us back. He, he kind of puts us in his own DeLorean and takes us back about 30 years and says, let's just walk back from 30 years ago, if you've been alive that long, and let's just take a look at all the works that I have worked in your life. And let me ask, and so once he kind of walks you through it, that's what he's doing there when he talks about all these chariots on fire and stuff. What is he doing? He's reminding the children of Israel, hey, look, don't you remember when I brought you out of Egypt? Don't you remember when Pharaoh was breathing down your neck? Don't you remember when you were panicking and crying and fearful, thinking we should have just stayed in Egypt rather than coming out here and dying? It would have just been better to be slaves back in Egypt. And I, and, and I sent this wind and it parted the Red Sea. And I let all of Pharaoh's army slip down into the sea, and then I closed them up. Come. Come on. Behold. Behold the works of the Lord. Come see what I've done. How, how in the world can you forget everything that I've done from you? How, can, how in the world can, can you forget that you used to be over here, but now you're over here? Huh? No, nobody knows about that? None of y'all come a mighty long way? None of y'all seen the great acts of God in your life? Huh? None? That's what he's saying. You've you, you got to take a little 
you got to travel back in history a little bit so that you can get into the present and live and live victorious. Or you can live and say, Therefore, I will not fear. I will not fear. Listen, the Bible is not trying to diminish our feelings at all. What it's trying to do, it's trying to do what any good, what all good theology does and what really good music does, worship music does, and all, it, all it's trying to do this, it is trying to acknowledge a real reality, fear, and show us the reality of who God is. And though whatever our reality is, though everything is falling down around us and we should be fearful, our theology always trumps our present experience because it says that though all of this may be happening around you, because who I am, you don't fear. You don't fear. Why? Because let it fall. Because I never fail. Let it fall. Because I will never let you fall apart. Because I am with you. I am in the midst of you. I will uphold you with my mighty right hand. There is nothing that will come against you that I will not see you through to the end. And listen, we're all going down death's path. We, none of us will escape death unless the Lord comes. And I'm just going to go ahead and probably help a lot of us out. A lot of us are going, we're going to face death and not the coming of the Lord. But listen, when death comes, you will say, I will not fear. Why? Because Christ triumphed over death. He is my refuge. He is my strength. He is my very present help in the time of trouble. I will not fear. What man may do to me, what Satan may do to me, what the fallenness, fallenness of this world may do to me, let it all fall. For I will stand, because He is my refuge and my strength and my help. I'd love to tell you about Hezekiah, and I'd love to tell you about Jehoshaphat, but for the sake of time, I'm skipping over them. They were my witnesses here at the end. I'm just going to bring them forth and let them testify to you this morning. 2, two Chronicles 20 and 2 Kings uh, chapter 19. You can go read that for yourself, but those guys were facing just incredible odds, and they both went to the Lord, and they went to the people of God, and they said, look, do not fear. We, I love what, I'm going to just tell you what Jehoshaphat said real quick. He's the most honest leader, I think, maybe in the Bible. He says, look, in 2 Chronicles 20, he tells his people, I don't know what to do. <laughs> I love that. That's, that's an honest leader, right? I don't know what to do. But my eyes are on you, Lord. That's the kind of leader you want. You want a leader that says, hey, you know what? I, I don't know what to do in this situation. I mean, the Ammonites uh, are out there, and all the other ites that were with the Ammonites were out there, and they were about to overtake God's people, and Jehoshaphat is facing the reality of what's going on, and he says, Lord, I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. 
And the Lord responded and he sent and, and, and he spoke a word to Jehoshaphat through the prophet. And he says, look, don't you worry about it. Don't you fear because tomorrow you're going to go out and you're going to walk right on out there and you're going to sing a song. And guess what you're going to see? Dead people everywhere. And they walked out the next morning and they started singing this song about the steadfast love of the Lord. And guess and guess what happened? <laughs> guess what they saw? All the ites had been destroyed. They'd been laid waste. Some hundred plus thousand of them dead because the Lord had gone before them and fought the battle. Well, we prevail as we be still. As we be still. If you're going to prevail, you got to be still. You got to behold his works, but you got to be still. That's what uh, 4610 says. Be still just simply means cease from striving. Take your hands off. And it's a command. Quit doing this. Quit striving. Quit putting your hands on it. He knows that we're hands-on people. We, we like to take, take care of things on our own. And we need to look at people like Hezekiah and Jehoshaphat and learn that, you know what we need to do? We need to get before the Lord and we need to be still. We need to cease from striving and see the work of the Lord. But listen, don't forget that second half. Be still and know that I am God. I'm going to tell you what I wrote down. Listen, this, is, this just kind of landed on me this morning as I was just going back through this sermon. This is what I wrote down. You don't know that, that He is God if you don't cease from striving. Why? Because your striving is an attempt to be God. Be still. Why? So that you can know that I am God. The fact that you won't be still proves that you don't know that He is the Lord. Why? Because to really know the Lord is to be still. Because you know that, guess what? Because I know God, I don't have to be God. And some of us are still trying to be God in our trouble. Be still. And then lastly, repeat the refrain. Repeat the refrain. That verse 46 is also up in verse 7. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Listen, you're going to have to repeat this stuff to yourself over and over and over and over and over and over again. You don't get it one time. Some of you might need to go back and listen to this message or read some of these verses over and over and over and over again. Why? Because you need to learn to repeat the refrain in your life. The Lord of hosts is with me. The God of Jacob is my fortress. Do you know what God of Jacob simply means? Do you remember Jacob? God changed his name to what? Anybody remember? Israel. Why? Because he says, Jacob, you are now Israel. You are my people. So when he says that, when he says, uh, the God of Jacob is our fortress, what he's saying is that God is the fortress of his people. He is my fortress. 
When Luther began to experience depression, desperation, and fear, he would often turn to his friend and co-worker, Philip Melanchthon, and he would say this, Philip, let us sing forth the 46 Psalms. We're going to sing in a moment. We are going to sing a mighty fortress. But listen to me. I'm going to tell you one more Luther story before we close. During this bubonic plague, and after Luther had written this A Mighty Fortress, it is said that Luther came in one morning and sat down at the breakfast table, and he was absolutely just despondent. Despondent. He was in the throes of depression, despair, despondency. He had had enough. He looked up from the breakfast table, and there was Katie, his wife, bringing him his breakfast, dressed in all black. And Luther said, Woman, whose funeral are you going to today? She said, Martin? I am mourning today the death of God. He looked up at her and he said, Woman, have you lost your mind? That's my modern day translation. And she said, No. But Martin, you are living as though God is dead. It is said that Luther rose from his breakfast table found his young co-worker in the ministry, Philip Melanchthon, and said, Philip, let us sing the 46th Psalm. Why? Because even the great reformer who wrote the great hymn about God being our refuge and our strength, a very present help in time of need, could fall prey to all that was falling down around him. But guess what he remembered to do? Repeat the refrain. So I want you to stand with me this morning. And Jason, if you will, cue that song up.